Chapter 10 of Mystery of the Caribbean Pearls by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Plan of Action. Two happy people couldn't be found among the gay crowds of tourists swarming the streets of Wilmstadt than Biff Brewster and Charlie Keene. They were standing at the bottom of the steps leading from the French consulate. We pulled it off, Biff. We really outfoxed yet, Charlie said exultantly. We sure did, but I was kind of shaky in there for a few moments. I mean, when the referee asked about the matching pearl. Uncle Charlie laughed. You felt like the best man at the wedding who forgot where he had put the ring, eh? Biff and his uncle had spent all their time before appearing at the claims division in looking for Derek. They had gone to the Zook home, long close since Bromzook had been in Martinique and Derrick in Holland. They thought the boy might have gone there to hide. They had also inquired at a small boarding house where Bromzook had stayed on his infrequent trips to Curacio. No sign or word of Derrick anywhere. They had come to the conclusion that Dietz must be holding the Dutch boy. Yep, Biff, we've established Bromzook's rights to the claim, and we've got the matching pearls. Pretty good day's work, I'd say. Couldn't have done it without you, though. My compliments to you, Biff Derek Zook Brewster. Biff laughed. <laughs> I'd like to get back to being just Biff Brewster again. Impersonating Derek Zook gets pretty rough at times. Uncle Charlie wasn't listening. Biff had given him the papers establishing the claim and the two pearls. Uncle Charlie was examining the pearls. Real beauties, aren't they? And valuable, too. What do you think they're worth, Uncle Charlie? Hmm, uh, several thousand dollars, at least. They'd make a perfect pair of earrings for some exotic movie star or Italian countess or a member of the British nobility. Not worth a big fortune, but a considerable one. A pearl collector would probably want them at any price named. And there's plenty more where they came from, Biff suggested. You're right. There are. Biff was quiet. His thoughts were now back on Derek. True, he and his uncle had preserved Derek and his father's pearl fishery claim, but unless they could find Derek and Broomzook, what they had done so far was valueless. Uncle Charlie, we've just got to find Derek now. Charles Keene frowned. I know it, Biff. We can't let Dietz find out that it wasn't Derek who appeared before the claims referee. If he does, he could upset our apple cart, but good. Yes, and it still has to be the real Derek who signs for the working permit in Martinique. Your impersonation can't go to the extreme of signing Derek's name. Biff glanced down the street. His eyes came to rest on the sleek black limousine which had brought Dietz to the claims division. It was the same car in which Biff had ridden from the airport to the hotel. Looking at it gave Biff an idea. Look, Uncle Charlie, if Dietz did get Derek, he must be still holding him, right? His uncle nodded his head in agreement. Although he doesn't know it, of course, since he saw me in the claims office and thought I was Derek. Go on, Biff. I think I'm reading you louder, and your upcoming idea is getting clearer. Thinking, as he must be, that Derek somehow escaped, wouldn't he let his guard down now? He must figure the game is almost up. Yeah, that's how I figured it myself, Charlie replied. And how wrong I'd be 
Exactly. So believing Derek must have escaped, wouldn't Diet feel it no longer necessary to take any precautions in returning to his hideout? I get you, Biff. Following him ought to be a cinch now. What are we waiting for, then? Let's get in your car and wait for Dietz and Specs to come out. The two walked over to Charlie Keene's small, low-slung two-seater sports car. They climbed in and waited. Keene's car was parked four cars removed from the black limousine. The cars intervening gave Biff and his uncle a good spot from which to observe without too much chance of being seen themselves. Five minutes passed before a dejected Dietz and his pal Specs came out of the building. They got into the limousine, Specs at the wheel, and pulled away. Uncle Charlie started up his car and slipped into the thick traffic behind. There was little chance of their pursuing car being noticed by Dietz in the crowded downtown streets. As Dietz's limousine reached the northern outskirts of the city, traffic thinned. Charlie dropped back half a block still keeping the black car within easy vision. Once the city was left behind, Speck speeded up. The limousine roared along the road. Charlie let it pull away, though he didn't have to. His sports car was much the faster of the two. "'Aren't you afraid we'll lose him, Uncle Charlie?' Biff asked, worried. "'Not a chance, Biff. This road goes only one place, the end of the island. No major turn-offs. If we stick too close on his tail, he might spot us. I just want to keep the car in sight. They remained a good half-mile behind the black car. Each time it rounded a curve and disappeared from sight, Biff's worries increased. But each time, as his uncle rounded the same curve, Biff was relieved to see the black car ahead. Charlie kept the same distance between the cars. Look, Uncle Charlie, Biff cried out suddenly. He's turning off. Charlie Keene nodded his head and tramped down heavily on the accelerator. The sports car leapt ahead. It roared down the road, rapidly closing the gap to the spot the black car had turned off. As they neared it, Charlie slowed. They came to a jagged road, angling off to the right. That's where they turned, Biff said. Charlie nodded his head, but kept on going. Aren't you going to turn in? Biff asked anxiously. Not right away. We're too close behind them. Charlie continued on down the paved road for a quarter of a mile, then you turned and came back. He cut off to the left into the rough road they had just passed, pulled up and cut his motor. Biff and Charlie got out. Charlie went ahead inspecting the road. It was composed of sand and crushed shells. This is it, Biff, I'm positive. See those deep tracks? Hasn't been time for the sand to have shifted and run back to fill them in. These roads with sand show tracks much as a snow-covered road does. Biff was convinced, not only by his uncle's skill at picking out fresh tracks, but because he hadn't seen any other road in that vicinity. It had to be the road the black car had just turned down. Let's figure our next move, Biff, Charlie said. The two got back into the sports car. I think I know where we are. There used to be a big estate somewhere around here. It's been closed up for some years. There's one large house, a hacienda, and several smaller outbuildings. An ideal place to hide out, particularly if you wanted to hold someone prisoner. Let's put our plotting machine to work for a few minutes. At first, Biff was all for barging right ahead, crashing right in and demanding of Dietz the whereabouts of Derek. Don't think we'd better do that, Biff, Uncle Charlie said. We don't know how many cohorts Dietz might have. He's bound to have a servant or two, particularly since he had to have someone to keep a sharp eye on Derek. 
"'I see what you mean, Uncle Charlie. "'What's your plan of action?' Biff asked. "'I go up to Hacienda by myself. "'I can keep Dietz plenty busy with questions and accusations for a while. "'That will give you time to scout around the outbuildings and search for Derek. "'But won't Dietz want to find out how Derek got away?' "'Perhaps, but since Dietz thinks he is gone, "'what good will it do him to worry about locking the gate now that his prize has fled?' Biff nodded his head. Then another thought came to him. But won't the guard who let Derek get away be so worried and scared he'll report to Dietz at once? Biff asked. Whoa, there, my boy, you're beginning to think like Dietz. Why should the guard be upset? He still has Derek, hasn't he? Ah, I forgot, Uncle Charlie, Biff said sheepishly. OK, let's move on. They drove for about two miles along the winding sand shoal road until they came to the arched opening in the pink stone wall. This is where we park for a while, Uncle Charlie said. I'll drive on up to the hacienda. You wait until you see me enter, then make like a beagle and sniff out the other buildings fast. Charlie looked at his watch. I've got six fifteen. How about you? The same. OK, Biff. We'll rendezvous outside the gate at exactly 6.45. It will still be light by then, but darkness comes fast. Night falls as fast as a theatre curtain in the tropics. One minute it's daylight, the next it's dark. Dusk lasts about one minute. All set? Right, and I hope you see double when we rendezvous. See double, Uncle Charlie was momentarily puzzled. Derek and me, Biff said, grinning. Oh, I get you. Guess I'd stop thinking clearly for a moment this time. Good luck, Biff. Charles Keene started the car and drove towards the hacienda. Biff waited until he saw him enter the building. When the door closed behind his uncle, Biff, keeping close to the wall, started out on his bird-dogging expedition. Fortunately for Biff, the grounds had been landscaped. Palm trees, low palmetto bushes and flower gardens, now filled with rank, weedy growth, gave him plenty of cover to scout around. The first two buildings he inspected were empty. A third, smaller building, well removed from the main house, looked like the next likely place. As Biff approached it, he noticed that the windows of the building were barred. Biff crept silently up to the building. He pressed close to the wall of a stone house and worked his way round to its rear. Cautiously he raised his head until his eyes were at the level of the window. He looked into the room. Once more he was looking at himself in a mirror. This time Derek's expression was even more startled than when the two boys had first met at the Miami airport. End of chapter 10